Do you like games? Cool. Do you like fantasy football? Well, you're here. Do you like games about fantasy football? Sweet. I have the perfect podcast for you. Dynasty Game Night, hosted by yours truly, Russ Fisher, Matt Price, John Bosch, and Rocky Petrella. We play games about fantasy football. You might learn a little something, but really, we're just here to have fun. So if you like playing a game about a game about a game, then check out Dynasty Game Night, a proud member of the DLF family of podcasts. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yeah, we are the DLF Dynasty Podcast, Dan, Matt, and Ryan. We are all the way up at episode 552 of the pod, the divisional round episode of the podcast, Matt. And we got to watch some football. Not all great games, but uh, it felt to me like the best teams, the teams that belonged in the Final Four, they're the ones playing next weekend. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the thing that I'm going to be looking forward to this week is, of course, all of the is Patrick Mahomes injured or not kind of news, which is going to be like the headlines this week. We saw the Bengals really come and take care of business against Buffalo in a game they you know, it's unfortunate about the DeMar Hamlin stuff, uh, but they came out uh, swinging in that first matchup too before that. Looked like they may have taken that there. Probably had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about maybe maybe they should have been the one at home field advantage, but it didn't matter. Uh, they took it to Buffalo. Burrow looks incredible. Uh, this matchup with Mahomes, I hope, is all it could crack up to be if Mahomes is healthy. So I hope we get the best possible game there. But the buff, but my biggest takeaway from this this weekend really was Cincinnati. They look like they're uh, they're ready to come back to the Super Bowl and this time take it. Yeah, they really did. They uh, they played so well. And the narrative coming into that game was how banged up that offensive line was, and we didn't even notice. But, of course, Joe Burrow can cover up some major deficiencies all around a team, let alone an offense. And he looks so good in that ball game. To me, and Ryan, we gotta we got to bring you in here too, the thing that the biggest takeaway for me was the teams that tackled well, played good defense – and uh, got after it, set the tone. Th- those were the ones that won this week. That that defense in Philadelphia was impressive. The Cincinnati defense, which nobody really talks about, right? Man, they played well against a great offense in Buffalo. And really, San Francisco, too. They made the plays on defense. Although Dallas played great defense, San Francisco played excellent defense. Uh, Fred Warner was all over the place making tackles. And they made the plays when, when, when the opposing quarterback threw it to him, they made the plays. Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs, he dropped that interception, and that was the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so to me, the teams that were trying, like the Giants, they were trying to blow up receivers. They weren't wrapping up, and it showed. And the best, best team won in all four of those games, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something we hear a lot after these games or after big games in general, you know, all parts of the game, offense, defense, special teams. And that was the first thing Joe Burrow said when uh, when he was being interviewed after the game was just noting that that they came to play on all three uh, facets of the game. And I would say the same thing, as you said, Dan, same thing is true with the Eagles, all three areas really stood out felt balanced and and for both of those teams that led to pretty easy wins for me I spent a little bit of time over the weekend listening to the losing team's leaders whether that be the owner the head coach the quarterback talking after the game and the difference between how Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott sounded for the Cowboys and how those leaders in Jacksonville that that coaching staff uh, the, the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, the the positivity from the Jaguars, Ryan, that was that's impressive. They're on their way. They're they're a team on the rise, whereas te- a team and I, I throw the Giants into that as well, even though they get, they got pretty much handled in that football game. They feel like they're moving in the right direction if they're able to get that band back together on the other side of it, though, that. That Dallas, uh, that Dallas front office and that locker room, they seem very dejected after the game, and there's a lot of questions in Big D. Yeah, there, there should be a big difference because uh, those teams are, are headed in, in different directions, and uh, if, you're, if you're a Jacksonville fan, if you're a Giants fan, 
it feels like this is the beginning of something, uh, especially with Jacksonville. But um, yeah, with Dallas, I mean, it, it, the expectations are always kind of out of whack, I think. And um, that that's going to lead to, to this disappointment and, and it's happening again They're I mean, they're not, their team is not as good as, as Philadelphia. That's, that's uh, easy and obvious. Their team is not as good as, as San Francisco. So, you know, they just didn't stack up, and, and that's kind of kind of what it comes down and to. And, Matt, it kind of felt that way with Buffalo as well. They didn't stack up. They had a clear need at pass rusher, and, of course, they lost their best pass rusher throughout the season. So he wasn't available. They went out and got the guy to put pressure on a guy like Joe Burrow, and, and he, he wasn't available. He was injured. And then the, the offense's just lack of commitment to any type of running game came through in spades, really. If you watch that football game, you felt like, man, they're banging their head against the wall with this passing game. And I'd be surprised if those running backs handled it a dozen times on Sunday. I know they were playing from behind, but in that kind of weather, that kind of game script, they needed to establish a running game, and they just weren't willing to do anything like that. I mean, they just, I just don't think they have necessarily have the horses to do it. Uh, you know, we talk about the – just to go back to your comment about the defensive line of Buffalo versus the offensive line of Cincinnati, they they were missing three offensive line starters Cincinnati. So they did it despite – you know, I know I know Von Miller is obviously a huge presence there, but it's not like Cincinnati was, was, was fully stacked there, uh, fully healthy there to defend that. For the running game for Buffalo, I mean, it's the same thing. We, we, Devin Singletary is the trusted guy, but he is not explosive. He's not going to get it done through there, uh, through the tackles like that. And again, game like that where they need that James Cook is not that guy they had that guy sort of in Zach Moss who none of us really like but was that bigger body guy and and is a running back that you type that you would think would thrive in a game like that but other than that these guys just they just don't have it it's those two and then Naheem Hines uh, you know occasionally catching a pass out of the backfield or or you know getting a long return or something like that but they just don't have the personnel to run that kind of offense so you think uh you know coming up in the draft we have a, a lot of exciting running backs a lot of them imperfect profit prospects maybe they they, uh, they're obviously probably not going to get uh, a guy like B. John Robinson up at the top, but I'm sure there will be uh, plenty of guys in the second and third round once we get to day two uh, for Buffalo to kind of fill that role for them. But that seemed to me seemed like the missing piece of that offense. Uh, otherwise, you have Josh Allen as the running back on that team, right? And it can only it can only work for so long uh, up there. And, and I do think that Allen, ever since that midseason elbow injury, has kind of affected him a little bit. Uh, you know, his play down the stretch and then into the playoffs. So uh, this is a team, I, I, th- I think we have to say that this is kind of a disappointing season for Buffalo after what they accomplished last year. Uh, and we were expecting to take that step forward. And uh, the lack of the running game, I think, was a big part of the not being able to. Yeah, do that. that might be a perfect segue to talk about what, we're, what we have coming up on the show. We're going to continue that rookie report series uh, that we started last week. And we're going to talk about one of those probably day three running backs that could be available to somebody, could potentially help a NFL football team, maybe your dynasty team as well. We also have uh, our sleeper stash of the week as we always do. And we're going to, we're going to attempt to keep dynasty weird this week as well. But uh, first we better do this. The startup. Yeah, there, there was a few different ways we could go with the startup this week, but I think the clear one, and we touched briefly on the Cowboys and what's going on there in Dallas. To me, the the one that stood out was Tony Pollard. When he got hurt, Ryan, on Sunday afternoon, it that, that offense changed. They became a different team. They didn't have that dynamic playmaker in the backfield. And they were content to not, not run the ball, even though it was a one-possession game, because they didn't have that explosive guy. They had their between-the-tackles grinder that could pick up third and two, they didn't have the guy on the perimeter to make the big play. Tony Pollard had an incredible season, really. All things considered, he shared the workload and still nearly reached 200 carries. He surpassed 1,000 rushing yards and scored nine touchdowns on the ground, Ryan. He also caught 39 of 55 targets for 371 yards and three more scores. So double-digit touchdowns. We're talking about a nearly 1,400 yards worth of production for Tony Pollard and he's going into a contract uh, or, or an expiring contract this offseason there's a lot of questions in Big D and maybe the biggest one right now is Tony Pollard 
Yeah, there were a lot of questions even heading into the game. And, of course, on on Sunday morning, we get the report from uh, Ian Rappaport that the Cowboys would even consider franchise tagging um, uh, Tony Pollard, which is is a surprise, not because of the player, but because of the situation they put themselves in with Ezekiel Elliott and his contract. Um, and even if they move on from Elliott, if they cut him, if they trade him, they're looking at a big cap hit there. Obviously it would be a, a substantial number for the franchise tag if they were to use that on Tony Pollard. So, uh, lots of tough decisions. And obviously that becomes even more difficult, uh, after the injury that we saw, uh, Tony Pollard suffer, uh, in, at the end of that first half. But really, that second half, I think it told us as much about Tony Pollard as it did about uh, and as it did about Zeke Elliott. We learned a lot about both of those players. If you were still a Zeke believer, if you thought you know he needed one more shot or he just needed that backfield to himself, uh, yeah, we got the answer on that, and it it's a big no. He he looks um, he looks totally done, and and most people already had accepted that, but. I don't think there's any any way to view it any other uh, any other way at this well, point. Well, the Zeke backers that are out there point to the middle of the season where between week six and week 17, he scored at least once in each one of those football games. Although he never, never reached 100 yards in a game, never got more than, I think it was 18 carries in that stretch of games. He was, an, he was a back-end RB1 for that stretch. But it was really touchdown dependent, as many running backs are, right, Matt? We we see these running backs come through, and if they're scoring touchdowns, they're productive, and we want them in our lineup. And if they're not, a lot of times, at least if they're not catching five, six, seven passes every week, they're not going to be listed in the top 24 running backs for the week, and we're going to be disappointed in their production. Zeke, although, like Ryan, I, I thought to myself – it. The eye test isn't matched here. It doesn't feel like this is a running back that I want to start every single week. The points were up there. So I'm wondering, as a dynasty manager, as we kind of segue into a Zeke conversation, is there any kind of selling window here early in the offseason? Or are we all just waiting for the news to hit and then reacting to that? Yeah, I th- I think I lean towards trying to get what I can. Can you get a late first for Pollard right now? If you can get that, absolutely. I'm I'm getting out. Um, I mean, I mean, I don't think you can. You're not going to be able to ask for much more, and there's no reason to really take a second. I was looking at the trade finder here, and in a super flex format, Kenny Pickett and a fifth for Pollard doesn't really do doesn't really do much for me. Um, Paul, Pollard for Nico Collins and Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like, not really very exciting deals and Pollard's an exciting player. I think whether or not he does come back to, uh, Dallas, I mean, a little bit older than we like for, to, to really invest in a guy that we haven't seen a ton of, at least in a feature back role. Right. Um, but I feel like you're just going to have to hold on to him and, and hope he claims a role somewhere, whether it's in Dallas or next year. I don't, I don't really know if you're going to get the kind of capital for him. Uh, that you might expect for a player who's done what he has really, especially down the second half of the season. That was a pretty gruesome injury, Ryan. The the high ankle sprain was the first thing reported, and then we find out on Monday that he actually f- had a had a broken bone. He fractured his fibula on that injury as well. Ruled out immediately, and we all feared the worst. But but we were thinking back to earlier in the weekend when Mahomes that that looked awful, and he finished that game. So. It really, it doesn't sound right, but Mahomes was lucky not, not to have a more serious injury. And and Pollard, he got the short end of the stick on this as he goes into uh, free agency, potentially, or this franchise tag. And now we as dynasty managers have a little bit of doubt on what to do with both him and Zeke Elliott, who's clearly very worth worth quite a bit less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think as far as Zeke's value, I think it's just done. Like I said, I think there were probably still a few people maybe hanging on, or he needs a fresh start, or put him on a new team. There, there's yeah, no second I, round. I don't picks think Zeke traded for Zeke at this point. I, I don't think so. No, no. I, I, I think if if you've got him, you're stuck with him unless you want to take a third rounder. That's that's probably the uh, best 
best case scenario in a trade for Zeke right now. As far as Pollard, I think, and I think, I believe we said this with Travis Etienne a couple weeks ago that he's, um, he was one of those running backs and, and we've said for, for weeks, months, maybe even years, let's not invest in these running backs unless they are those elite running backs that we really believe in the talent and the situation. And it's, you know, it's Brees Hall and Jonathan Taylor and, and whoever else you want to put in that category. And we had said, is Travis Etienne in that group or, or is he just, just another guy and it, with some talent in a pretty good spot? And I think Tony Pollard is another one that was maybe on that borderline. Um, and now he's not, you know, I think this injury is going to be enough to push him down and to make running back doubters like myself say, see, this is why you don't invest in running backs. And I mean, there are dynasty players out there listening to this show right now that have traded for Tony Pollard in the past two or three weeks since the season ended. And you know, that's, that's a rough spot to be obviously. And, and that's why you have to be careful in, in investing in those running backs, especially in the offseason. January ADP had Tony Pollard at RB15, 42 overall. So, you know, we're talking about a fourth-round startup pick for a guy that really seemed to me, Matt, as to be a guy that, that might have his best days ahead of him, potentially. If he were to get a backfield more to himself, a bigger percentage of the workload – Maybe he could take that step forward and be that consistent RB one with with even even higher upside. A guy a guy that could have weekly uh, RB one overall upside. I, I think that's the th- those are the guys that are the dynasty players that bought Pollard. They saw that upside. Now this injury knocks him down a peg or two, and we're all at the mercy of what Jerry Jones wants to do, how they feel about Pollard. Uh, Overall, where are you with Pollard? I know you said you're probably selling him, but RB15, that takes a big hit right now. Yeah, he's. He, I mean, he's obviously going to fall with the injury, right? So uh, I, 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 don't, I honestly don't have a good, 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 good guess with him. I need to adjust the rankings based on the injury and where he thinks, but I still think he, you know, I don't think it's, a, it's an injury that's necessarily going to keep him out through, you know, preseason into, into week one or anything. So we'll just have to see where he lands. You, you, you probably think that Dallas wants to bring him back, but I don't know how you can stomach paying Zeke 10 million next year and whatever Pollard is going to get. So uh, I, hopefully it is not the case that the best place for him to be productive is in Dallas. Uh, you like, like you said, you'd like to see him grab a, a bigger share, a bigger workload, somebody else. So I think you just have to have to have to hold if you still have faith. And if you are happy getting out for a second round pick right now, I, I think you could probably still do that. I think there's enough believers uh, out there to get out for that price. But if you want to capitalize, uh, it, it ain't going to happen anytime soon, like you said. So I think you hold. Uh, you sell for a second if you want to get out and if you want to get in like I, I don't even really know what the get in price right now a third isn't going to do it but I don't know if I want to pay a, a high second round pick I'd rather just use that that capital on a rookie yeah it's a it's a unique situation for sure I feel bad for Pollard because he was supposed to cash in uh, the numbers don't lie I know there are a lot of people that don't believe in numbers and don't believe in analytics whatever side you might be the eye test will tell you that Pollard was so much better than Zeke. The stats say the same thing. Uh, Zeke, 231 carries, just 876 yards, scored the 12 touchdowns, so he finishes as that RB2 for fantasy managers, just 3.8 yards per carry. Behind the same offensive line, Tony Pollard, like I said, 5.2 yards per carry, just dominated behind that line and looks so much more explosive. It, it's a it's a unique situation, but the Cowboys did give Michael Gallup that contract last offseason following a torn ACL. So maybe they follow that path once again, invest in Pollard. It certainly looks like that offense is going to rely on Pollard. He's he's the he's the engine that makes that offense move, unfortunately. Sleeper stash of the week. Yeah, let's get to the sleeper stash of the week where we take a look at a player outside our top 280p that we think you should consider uh, adding to your roster. Matt, you have the sleeper stash of the week. Who you got? We're going to go with 49ers wide receiver Jawan Jennings. Wide receiver 98 
235 overall. He is obviously the three there behind Debo and Brandon Ayuk. And of course, you got all the other weapons there with McCaffrey and Kittle. But he has made some plays down the stretch. That that throw that Dan that you and I thought was not that good from Purdy uh, two weeks ago in the playoff game. Uh, he was the recipient of that. The, the, the Twitter kind of went crazy for. So he has the ability to go down uh, and, and and make those kind of deep th- deep th- catches. He's also a, a you know very uh, large guy. He can make those plays in the slot six three two fifteen. So he's a very versatile player. He's not a, not a speed threat, uh, so to speak. But Cam has shown the ability to make plays down the field. Uh, basically free on the end of probably on some waiver wise and less deep dynasty leagues. Uh, so, you know, th- that time when Debo was out, he had some nice games. Uh, if any of those weapons and he ever missed a time of game, it seems like uh, he could fill in and uh, be a threat for the Niners. So uh, for the price of free, I'll take Juwan Jennings as our sleeper of the week. Yeah, he was, he was, he's been productive, caught just two passes in the playoff game against Dallas two the week before against Seattle, but runs a lot of routes and certainly looks like a guy who could be productive. So Juwan Jennings is the sleeper stash of the week. Of course, that's brought to you by Sleeper Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy football platform in the world. Download their app, join a new dynasty league or migrate yours to their platform and enjoy how easy they make it to manage your league all in one place. Keep Dynasty weird. This is one that we don't get to use all that often, guys. And, you know, we're at that time of year where we get a chance to talk about strategy and unique rule league or league rules. And this is one of them. We thought we'd talk about dispersal drafts, dispersal auctions, and second draft, second chance drafts and auctions. So, Ryan, you're you're the you're the figurehead at the top of this conversation because a handful of years ago, you introduced some of these topics, and they become relatively popular across, at least across industry leagues, and those uh, those of us who are are kind of degenerates. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I I came up with, um, well, I, I don't want to say I came up with with uh, dispersal drafts, but uh, I'm sure those you know I'm sure those have been around for quite a while. But at one point, when I'm bringing new people into my league and uh, they're they're essentially arguing over who gets the good team and who's stuck with this with this uh, bad orphan team. It, it just kind of became obvious that we should do a draft uh, between these two new managers in the league, or three, or however many it might have been at the time. Uh, and, and then several years after that, I had someone ask, you know, someone that was already in the league, "Can I join? I want to give up my team." and I didn't really have a good reason why that why they shouldn't be able to and came up with the with the second chance rule even made an entire league uh, based around that rule to essentially test it and and that went really well and yeah like you said a lot of uh, a lot of these leagues that are active on Twitter or born from Twitter um, that that uh, content creators and writers and and just the just those uh just those degenerates, as you said, a lot of those leagues now use second chance uh, drafts and uh, dispersal drafts in general. Yeah, so a dispersal is essentially a way to spread out the player pool that is available from the teams that have left the league to the new owners. So you don't have to take the entire roster of one team while the other new guy or new gal in the league gets the better roster in general you fight for those players either through a draft or through an auction. So let's start with that, the dispersal, Matt. You want to spread out these players in an even and fair manner, and uh, the, you, you have two, three, four new members of your league that are going to go after these players. Talk to me about a draft and an auction. Which one do you prefer and why? I feel like... We have to do auction here, even in draft-based leagues, and here's why. And I'm not going to call out specific leagues, although I've seen some of them this year, uh, where there are you know, one or two assets that are significantly <laughs> just, just like a, there's a grand canyon of value in between them and, and the third or fourth option. Uh, so in a draft format, it's a roll of the dice, and I know it's like that in a startup too, but you know, obviously the, the talent is uh, more spread out than it can be in a dispersal. It can be absolute cliffs there or chasms. Uh, and the third or fourth person has a distinct disadvantage right off the top. Uh, they get that snake coming back, sure, but they miss out on one of those top options. So in an auction, it gives all teams the ability to go 
ahead and go after whichever asset they want. They can spend a ton and go after that top option. I'll tell you guys right now, I'm running a red list one dispersal, uh, and I have seen prices that I have never seen in my life before. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is, is over 50% of the, the, the dispersal budget. So um, so that, that just gives you the ability to go, go and do things like that. You want Patrick Mahomes? Go and get him. In a draft situation, you can't do that. So even in your draft-based leagues, I would really encourage you to, you know, even if you've never done an auction before, maybe it's a fun time to start an auction, uh, to, to learn how to do an auction. So make do an auction, even your draft best leagues. Make it as fair as possible for all new people joining that. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and make it make it so that there's a level playing field between those guys and the ones that are jumping in via second chance. Right. Because those guys know the league. They know the values If they end up with that first pick and the new guy gets gets shafted on the worst pick in that first round. Uh, that's not going to leave a, a great uh, experience for that new manager in your league. So just do an auction. Yeah, auctions are my preferred way as well, Ryan. I know I, I think I feel safe speaking for you in this case. You you prefer an auction in these as well because of everything Matt said about it, everything being more more fair. Uh, the other the other thing that commissioners might have to think about right now are rookie draft picks and future rookie draft picks inside this dispersal. In your leagues, Ryan, you always Put those draft picks into that auction as well, and and they're typically uh, already awarded to the by by finish from the year before. So if the worst team in the league in a twelve team league left the league, and they earn the the top rookie pick the following year, and then the then the tenth uh, tenth place team earn the third pick, uh, those the, both of those picks are available in that dispersal. Uh, and then if the, the winner of the league who, who earned the 12th pick in the first round, they decide to join that second chance off, uh, uh, auction and get involved in this thing, that puts the 12th pick in, that, in, the, in the auction for this dispersal as well. Talk to me about the, the log- logistics of, of doing that and what makes it so much fairer to include those draft picks in any future um, – valuable assets that a team might have in in uniquely settings yeah so well i think it's when you're talking about the the upcoming draft you know in this case the 2023 rookie picks i think it's a it's an easy and obvious call to include those those are part of those are part of those teams that have been built, uh, whether they've been built uh, well or poorly by by the previous managers. They've got they've got to go into the pool, the available pool of uh, of assets. Um, I think when you're when you move to the future draft picks, you know, if we want to talk about 2024, 2025 picks that might be available, that's when it gets a, a little trickier because you essentially have these new managers in in the league that are building. Uh, their team and maybe they want to go the productive struggle route uh, and, and then the other the other person in the auction grabs their 2024 first rounder and it becomes uh, much more difficult so honestly for me with those future picks it really becomes a case-by-case basis if I have three teams in the uh, in the draft or in the auction and they all still own all of their future picks I just let the typically just let those stay with those teams um, now, if some of those picks have been traded around, right, if one team, uh, one previous manager has, has stripped all the picks from their roster, they've traded all those away, um, then you have to include everybody's pick uh, just for, you know, just for that balance and, and fairness sake. But, um, yeah, like I said, it, it really becomes a, a case-by-case basis as to whether you're including the future draft picks into the uh, into the player pool or the asset pool. I love dispersals and i i love i especially love second chance auctions because you can get involved in your league in a big way by throwing your team back starting this thing over uh and 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 getting to know these new managers so let's talk a little bit about strategy matt you're you're a pat you're an owner in a league whether it be a new owner or somebody joining this second chance and throwing your team back what are the things you like to do to prepare to get ready for this auction where maybe there's only one other manager? Maybe you're, you're battling one other manager for, for two, two uh, rosters worth of players. Maybe it's three or four. How do you approach these auctions? 
The, the biggest difference for me really between this and a startup auction is just correctly making sure you correctly value those those top end assets, because once they're gone, you, you don't get them. Like I talked about a little bit before, there's a cliff. Right. So um, you kind of I, I still kind of let the auction come to me just like in a, a startup auction. You know, I want to try to get the best values. But if there's, uh, you know, head and shoulders, the best asset out there, I want to make sure I, 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 I allocate a little bit more of my budget to potentially go in and get those guys. I'm talking about like top end quarterbacks and super flex leagues, uh, top end young wide receivers uh, in, in really any format. Uh, typically, I'm avoiding the running backs. The, the you know, I'm always going to go after the Kyle Pitts and things like that. But it's a little bit different when you if you're going to set up your tiers because you're going to have tons of tiers of of one probably, and a lot of the, uh, the towards the top end of a lot of these dispersal drafts. So um, to me, that's the biggest difference: figuring out how you value those top end ass, assets, making a plan uh, if you don't if, if they go outside of your budget, uh, and if you're willing to figure out if you're willing to to pay up to. Uh, you know, past that threshold to get them, or if you're just willing to sit back and, and collect value um, as you kind of filter other managers' money off of there. Um, but honestly, it, it's not a, there's not a ton of difference other than the way that the asset value is spread out and how you want to uh, attack that um, that situation. I think you said the right word there. It's budget. Yeah, you start with the budget. You start with the list of players that are available, and you try to attach some. Attach some values to those players and and build a budget based on those values. And then I think one of the most important parts of a dispersal that maybe we don't worry about, Ryan, when we're doing a startup auction is that you have to you you really have to be active, especially if it's one on one and there's just two of you in this auction. You have to be active on every single auction. You can't let a player go through that should go for ten or 12% of the budget, you can't let that player go through for 5% or even $1 because you're not interested because that creates an advantage for your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that kind of leads into one thing I wanted to talk about. I think a big difference between a dispersal or a second chance, uh, really draft or auction compared to a startup is you have to react to what your competition is doing. And I think in a startup, you know, there's 11 other uh, 11 other managers. You can go in with your plan and, you know, maybe you don't get the exact players you want. You can still essentially follow that path uh, that you've laid out pre-draft, pre-auction. Um, I, I don't think that's the case in, in, a, uh, in a dispersal. Again, especially if it's just one other manager. If they're clearly going one route, you know, if they're if they're going that win now and and they're taking the value on all the veterans, uh, one, you have to make sure they're paying up as as much as they can, which is what you're talking about there, Dan. And, and two, you almost have to take the other route, right? Take you go the youth route. You take you load up on picks and young prospects um, because otherwise you're you're just going to leave. Uh, you're you're both leaving value out on the board, um, so that's that's one of the big differences for me is reacting and responding to what the other manager or managers in the uh, in the dispersal are actually doing. Matt, is there anything else you can add either for commissioners or or managers as they're st- trying to strategize when it comes to these dispersals or second second chance auctions? Yeah, I wanted to chat about if we should limit how often teams can jump into second chance auctions. This really came up from a discussion in one of my leagues. Uh, you know, I have a few, you know, let's call them sharp owners, sharp, sharp managers that have now uh, for several years in a row jumped into the, you know, made a run and then jumped into the, the second chance auction. And it's not something, not, a, not really something I considered when writing up the bylaws. I never really considered adding a limit to that because it seemed like a fun thing to do. And teams are going to draft a team they like and then, you know, hopefully keep it on because this is dynasty. That was one thing that was brought up was this is dynasty. Should people really be able to do this? And I don't really want to sit here and define what dynasty is or, or how you should be playing the game. Um, but just from a commissioner standpoint, Ryan, have you had issues with teams jumping in too frequently? And do you recommend setting limits, whether it's every other year, you can't do it two years in a row, every third year, whatever it is, should there be limits on how often uh, managers can second chance? I haven't had an issue actually with it. Um, if anything, each year I'm surprised by 
how few people are taking advantage of the second chance option. And, um, you know, as a commissioner, when when it's that time of year and, and that time is coming up pretty soon here, uh, you start looking at the teams and, and you think, yeah, they're they're probably going to they're probably going to give this up and and try to reset uh, and hopefully improve their team. And, and then, and then they don't. So, um, maybe that's a, you know, maybe that's just a difference in, in league types or the, the manager group that we have in our leagues. But, um, honestly, I, I don't really have any problem with it. I don't think, I don't think we have to set that, uh, limit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say the same thing I would say about most other problems that a commissioner deal, uh, might deal with. If it's, if it's proving to be an issue in your league, then then obviously you need to address it. But uh, in general, I don't I don't think we would have to limit that. No matter uh, dispersal, second chance auctions, they're a fun addition to every league, right? They're easy to add if you're a commissioner out there and you you see the potential for there to be a couple changes in your league. Adding that adding that auction for multiple new owners or managers, and then allowing those set, those past managers, the people that are are hanging in there for another year, to throw their team back and join that second chance, uh, it adds to the fun, and really, honestly, it adds to the strength of the league because everybody communicates more. There's an event in the off season that they can be a part of, and everybody gets uh, gets on the chat and gets on the site and gets gets things fired up for the next year. So we'd all recommend that you add dispersals and second chance auctions to your league this off season. It's time for the rookie report. Yeah, this is the reason why everybody's listening right now, guys. Because we're we're gonna we're gonna shotgun affect all these rookies throughout the off season, and we got three more for you again this week. It's week two, of course. Uh, last week we covered Bijan Robinson, uh, running back, and then wide receiver Rashi Rice and quarterback Will Levis. So moving forward from here on, guys, let's rank these guys as we talk about each prospect. We'll start our group's rankings, and we'll adjust it as the year goes on. But, you know, obviously if you got guys like Robinson, Rice, and Levis, you only, you only start with three. This week we're going to add three more rookies, and we'll have a ranking of six. And we'll, we, we like to add a, a high-end prospect, a second-round type prospect, and then a third-round type prospect. So we'll build on that as the season goes on. I, I think it's pretty safe to say – uh right now that um that we have uh even though we're starting from a spread out group we're gonna have a lot of fun conversations throughout the year so the three guys we picked for this week are running back uh mo ibrahim from minnesota i guess it's muhammad ibrahim from minnesota wide receiver jordan addison from usc and tight end darnell washington from georgia a couple of those guys just declared so they've been in the news recently uh, let's start out with Mohamed Ibrahim. He's one of my guys for sure. He's he's a skilled running back, Matt, and a guy that I really love to watch play. Very productive in college up there for the Golden Gophers. Was really their offense for the last couple of seasons, but has an injury history that many dynasty managers need to get aware of to start with. First off, before we talk about any of that, let's talk about one of the positive. What's the what's the biggest strength you see from Ibrahim? Because he's a fun player to watch. To me, his his biggest strength is maybe that initial burst because he gets up to speed real quickly, eats up that space uh, right after he gets through the line really quickly. Um, and I just love the way he, he's he's a compact like kind of a strict like a slippery straight line power runner. Um, but when he when he when he hits through those through that through that tackle box. Uh, he he's just so good at shedding arm tackles. He uses that offhand to kind of like he either uses a stiff arm or like to redirect them based on the defender's momentum and using that against them. Um, but I think that that initial burst through the line is is really the the kind of calling card for this guy for me. That with his combined with his physical yeah, and he's that all starts with the vision, right? He finds that running lane and can explode through it. I I completely agree with you, and I think it translates to to that contact balance that he has. You, you mentioned that he can shed those arm tackles. He takes he takes face-up shots in the chest and stays on his feet and continues to move forward. He's a, you know, 
considering his size, he's a he's a yards after contact type guy. He's he's a guy that's gonna gonna take that contact and always fall forward for positive yardage and always um, always you know, stretch the ball forward to, for, for the sticks or whatever the situation may be. He's 5'10", 205 pounds. So maybe a little bit slight, not that ideal size that you see. You don't, you don't see him at 220 and the guy that, that's going to barrel through the line and, and take on hits game after game after game. Most likely, Ryan, we're talking about a day three prospect and a guy that can mix in to an offense at the next level. He's not going to get those, those uh, 20 carries a game. Um, but he is gonna he's gonna probably carve out a role at, at, in the right offense to be uh, a contributor and maybe in the right situation he can blossom into a guy that dynasty managers could depend on at some point in his career yeah I, I definitely see him as a guy who can have a have a role in the league I mean you look at some of these numbers and they really are crazy 320 carries this past season that was the third most in college football uh he was also uh also ranked third with 1665 rushing yards and 20 rushing tds led the uh led all of college football or was tied for the lead i do think he ends up as as that day three pick or one of those day three picks you look at our dlf rankings right now he's the rb 16 37 overall so actually uh in that late third early fourth round range I mean, he's he's a value. We got a lot of guys to talk about still, but definitely a value, and, and feels like a player that will that will make a roster and and will be able to contribute in that in that committee type role. And really, I mean, kind of going back to what Matt said, I was just surprised how elusive uh, Ibrahim really was. I kind of thought of him as. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have the best speed. He's certainly not known for his speed. Um, but kind of that combination of uh, of power and just hard running. I feel like we talk about guys running high all the time. He's the opposite of that. Like, he just ducks yeah. his head and, and goes. Yeah, and I, I see him as the guy that's going to be that one-cut runner and get downhill, just like he did at Minnesota. He's, he's looking to – He's looking to punish uh, tacklers at the second level, especially yeah. guys in the secondary. So uh, certainly a guy I watched a lot being a Wisconsin Badger fan, watch a lot of Big Ten football, and a guy I've I've kept my eye on over the years. The thing is, Matt, it, it is years of Ibrahim playing mm. at the, in the Big Ten. He's I think he's 24 years old, going to be 25 by the time the his rookie season kicks off. So he's an aged uh aged product I would call him and he's got those injuries he's he, serious injuries really and dynasty managers maybe maybe that's what keeps his value low even if he does look good in Indianapolis at the combine if he does show well uh potentially in these bowl games could we when it comes to his reasons for concern or the negatives uh surrounding Ibrahim what really tops that list for you yeah, I I agree with everything you guys have said. I like the player; he's fun to watch, but he's he's pretty much off my board for for three reasons. Uh, and you know, at that early first fourth round pick, whatever fourth round pick, late third, whatever, sure you take a shot on him. But he's off my board because he's old, like you mentioned. And I know we shouldn't necessarily care about that with rookie running backs because we're only going to use him for three or four years anyway, and then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna toss him before they get to twenty eight. You know, but twenty five when the season starts is is kind of asking a lot. Uh, that that's the first reason. Number two, the torn Achilles, like you mentioned. Now he did come back and have a fantastic season this year off of that Achilles injury. So I don't, you can't hold that against him too much, I guess. But we've seen it time and time and again in the NFL with more guys this year. We thought James Robinson had recovered. He didn't. Uh, you know, Deonta Foreman took. How, when's the last time we talked about Deonta Foreman before this season and, and I guess last season backing up Henry? It took take a while. Took a while for him to get back. So maybe because he's young, he's going to get over that and it's. He's He's going to be totally fine and have no complication with that. But the age plus the injury and then the fact that uh, he doesn't catch passes, you guys. He caught seven total balls last year uh, to go with 320 carries. Uh, you can do the bath there. The most receptions he's ever had in a season was eight. 
uh, back in 2020. So he's just not the profile for the back for me for, for really those three reasons. Uh, take a shot at him as a sleeper, fourth round guy uh, that can maybe be a running back four or five, get called up for the practice, practice squad late in the season like we see every single season. I think that's what we're hoping for from Ibrahim at this point. Um, so, uh, yeah, those three those three things are, are big red flags for me, and I'm, I'm willing to not take a chance on them. Yeah, and I, I think those are all fair. Certainly the age and the durability concerns that he has had uh, with the Gophers. I will say that that Minnesota offense is not, is not one that features a pass-catching running back. There, it's not like there was, a, there was a guy that they put on the field in third-down passing situations over him. They just... They just don't use their running backs in that way. So I think there is the potential that that is a skill of his that he just didn't get the chance to show at but, that level. But, Dan, we, we did that last year with Kenneth yeah. Walker. Sure, he can catch the ball, but he didn't, and he caught, what, like two balls a game this year, like three, four targets a game. I think he did have one big uh, reception game, more than four, four catches. But for the most part, he's a one or two reception a game kind of guy, and that's just – I mean, we can project it for days. We can say he can do it, but to me, I just, I just want to see some of it in college and, and whether it's the program or it's the player or what, I just, I'd like to see it. So uh, I'm not going to be playing that game this year. Ryan, when it comes to Ibrahim and, and what we expect from him moving forward or as we get into draft season here, uh, anything else to, other than that day three pedigree that we expect, anything else to add about his potential at the next level? Uh, just just a little more on on Matt's age point and and Matt kind of answered himself with the they're running back so we don't care about the age. Well, one reason one reason we should care is because this is a 24-year-old guy playing against 18, 19, 20-year-old Big 10 defenders. And maybe that doesn't matter, right? Like it it might not, but it it could certainly be a a big difference and and something that led to his success. And yeah, this this is a guy who ran for over a thousand yards as a freshman at Minnesota as well, but he was also a a 19-year-old freshman even then. So even he's always been old for his class is what I'm trying to say. So uh, there's really two reasons to think about the age issue for these incoming players. And, and one is just how long will they be viable in the, in the NFL? And if he's coming in as a 25 year old, you think he's got, you know, four years tops basically. Um, But the other reason is how did they play against their competition and was their age and, and presumed uh, physical maturity, a reason for that, uh, that strong play. Well, well, I think it matters more for these prospects that are going to be farther down the board than it does for the, the top-end prospects, right? Because you know that you're going to get work out of them early. A guy like Ibrahim, I, I, I don't know if we can say he's going to get a ton of work early. And if he goes two years without seeing much workload, then then what? Then what? You got a 27-year-old running back that, that may get a shot to compete in his third year in the league, you know? Over five yards of carry in all five seasons with the Golden Gophers, although one of those – one of those seasons, he only had one game. Uh, that's back in 2021. He actually got got hurt late in that game. I felt so bad for him. He dominated that football game. 30 carries in that ball game, a couple of touchdowns, and then gets hurt really late. And we didn't get to see him in that his first senior campaign. That's why he comes back this year following that Achilles. 320 carries, 1,600-plus yards, and 20 rushing touchdowns. For Ibrahim, he's a sleeper for me and a guy that, especially if you can get him in the – fourth round of a rookie draft or late in the third round he's a guy i will be considering looking forward to seeing what he does in indy at the combine let's move on to our premier player this this week that's jordan addison the usc receiver who ryan he's an impressive guy he's he's certainly uh considered by most to be a first round prospect a guy that many consider to be a top end wide receiver two for an nfl team potentially even a wide receiver one at the next level, and a guy that we as dynasty managers should be pretty excited about having on our rosters this coming season. Yeah, definitely. There, There's certainly a lot to like about Jordan Addison. Um, for me, it starts with his hands. Uh, it felt like he caught everything that was going going his way, um, and really, really a good separator. You know, uh, felt like there was always a gap between he and the defender, 
but I think he needs that because uh, once once the defender's close, he's going down. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of leads into our concerns. We'll get to our concerns later. But, um, yeah, that one, if he's got that gap on, on, a, on a defender, he's going to make them pay. Yeah, Matt, Ryan brings up the, the one thing that I was going to say. Those hands. You know, he snatches everything out away from his body. He's a playmaker uh, before the catch, creates that separation, and uh, and looks to be a guy that we should be able to dep- depend on to carve out a big role and maybe even early in his career. Yeah, the hands are, are obviously a big one. Uh, I'm going to add on to that. He is a master of double moves. Uh, he <laughs> just He's just a master of disguising his routes. I called him the stealthy assassin, especially on those sluggo routes. Now, a sluggo route is this is this double move route where it's designed to look like a slant, get the defense going one way, and then he just pops up field into that go portion of the route. Uh, and it's just uh, it's a sight to behold, and I can't wait to see if it translates to NFL. I, I can't imagine it's not going to. Um, and then just to add one other thing there, after he gets the ball in his hands, it's like he presses that turbo button. Like it's just he kicks it into another gear after the catch. Uh, so he creates that separation with the routes with those incredible hands, makes the catch no matter where it is in, in his proximity, and then he's just up the field immediately. Uh, it, he's just a fantastic player and uh, so fun to watch. Uh, I, I think he's in, in the conversation for the top wide receiver in the class, certainly, uh, depending on how you feel about the other, other, other guys in this top three to four um, that we'll get to. But uh, Addison, so far, I, can, I, I think he's going to end up being my favorite player in this class. Uh, just mm, based on We'll I'm get to that for. here. We'll get to that for sure, man. Matt. I, I wanted to point out, Ryan, that he was a transfer, right? He came from Pitt and was so dynamic. He was yep. that offense. The Pitt Panthers offense was Jordan Addison. In 2021, he caught 100 passes for almost 1,600 yards and 17 touchdowns. Then going over to the Pac-12 with USC, that production took a big hit with, with all the playmakers surrounding him. Just 59 catches in three less games, of course. Didn't reach 900 yards and uh, didn't reach double-digit touchdowns. So I think box score scouts might look at that and say, wait a minute, what happened? Uh, Some would say, yeah, he stepped up in competition going to the Pac-12 from the ACC is where Pitt plays. Uh, So... You know, is there any reason for concern when it comes to Addison, those those stats, first of all? And then you mentioned as well, he's not the guy that's going to break a lot of tackles uh, once he gets the balls in, ball in his hands. He's more of the guy that's going to be elusive and try to keep those guys away from him. Yeah, I'm not really worried about the stats. I mean, I think I think we can look at uh, the improved competition on his on his own team as really the main factor there, and along with uh, missing a couple games, uh, really the injury and, and missing those games is what would have me more worried because that that goes along with uh, with that slight size, with the play strength. Those are the real concerns uh, for me, at least with uh, with Jordan Addison. I did want to go back to what Matt was talking about really quickly on, on the double moves. It felt like, like he feels like a basketball player because a lot of those, a lot of those double moves were in the backfield, whether, you know, he, he would line up as a, as a running back or he would, uh, you know, swing around on a reverse and just juke defenders, you know, in, in the open field. So uh, I actually remember, um, I almost said his teammate, not his teammate, but uh, Drake London, for another former USC receiver, being comped to a basketball player last year as well. Um, so I, you know, maybe that's something that they're coaching there in in that play style. Although I guess we've we've got a different coaching staff now, so I don't know what it is about USC receivers, uh, but that that's really what one thing that I was thinking about when when watching yeah, a little bit of him. It's that fluidity in his. It's that fluidity in his footwork, Ryan. Like, yeah. like it, it, every, he makes literally everything he does look the same. So you don't know what direction he's going to do, and then that burst out of the cut is just. You're just like you're just guessing. The the defender is just guessing where he's going to go and where he's going to have to go. And that's that was the other uh, strength that I wanted to bring up. You guys you guys mentioned that creativity and that elusiveness, ability to get open at the top of his route. Uh, scouts call it the stem. Uh, I'm not that fancy. I. <laughs> I see the same thing at the line of scrimmage, that release package, and being able to 
to uh, get off of jams at the line of scrimmage, create space right away. He's so patient at the line of scrimmage. Reminds me a little bit of Keenan Allen at the line of scrimmage. Has that has that ability to move mm-hmm. his feet and get the get the defender on their heels quickly or moving in the wrong direction. That creates instant separation for that quick uh, quick release and that's that slant that Caleb Williams uh, just peppered him with those targets. The 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 competition for targets at USC was way different than what was available at Pitt, right? They they had Mario Williams, even though Caleb Williams was there, and you know he he's the best player, one of the best players in college football. All those things delivering the ball. They had Mario Williams over there. They had that guy named Rice. I can't remember his first name. Uh, you know there were a lot of guys catching catching footballs there at USC. That probably explains the the lack of production or the the lower production, I guess, from his days at Pitt. He also missed some time uh, as a senior or in his final year of college ball, uh, and then skipped that bowl game as well. So just eleven games for Addison compared to the fourteen the year before. If there are any weaknesses, Matt, if there's anything to to throw up a red flag and make you think. Well, maybe that'll be a problem for him at the next level. What's the tops of that list? I'm going to do the thing where where people like to do an interview where they like ask you like what is what's your greatest weakness, and then Michael Scott goes, "Well, actually, it's my strength." Uh, <laughs> like he's the, the, the size issues is what's going to what people are going to point to with this guy. But we did this uh, with Devonte Smith, and Devonte Smith has been a fantastic pro over like just almost 1,200 yards this year, 95 catches, seven touchdowns for Devonte Smith. Uh, despite the, the the whatever you want to call it, the thin frame, he has not missed a game as a pro. Uh, that is not going to be uh, a concern for me on this list um but i guess the physicality like he's not going to be a contested catch guy but he doesn't need to be right he just doesn't need to be so uh like i don't really have any other negatives i'm not uh, i'm trying to make something up here but like i I really don't have anything outside of ryan anything to add there Uh, just just what we've already talked about the the strength uh play strength concerns and um yeah i mean it is it's similar deal to Devonte smith similar deal to even calvin ridley um and it's just a question of is he going to follow that path or or is he going to be uh, one of these many other uh you know thinner built wide receivers that we that come and go and, and we kind of forget about them i i would you know i would gamble on uh, Ryan, on the former or, there people might say he Sorry, one more other thing, Dan. People might say he's he he's he's going to be like he has to play in the slot in the NFL, but I don't really think that matters. If, if he yeah, does, that's fine. Cares, right? it, but I think he I gets think open he on to. the outside just as much, and I think I think yeah. ideally yeah, I agree. we'd like to see him with a quarterback that can get the ball out quickly, timing based patterns, and and get the ball in his hands quickly. Oh man, that'd Justin be Herbert. Uh, and but but I was going to bring this to Ryan. There's been whispers that maybe he lasts into the second half of the first round. Maybe he gets to one of these playoff teams with one of these quarterbacks that that we're really thinking could be an attractive landing spot. If that happens, could this potentially be a player that that puts up big numbers in his rookie season if he gets the right landing spot? Oh, I think I think we have to not only consider that a, a possibility. I think we have to assume that with Jordan Addison and and really with all these top receivers, the way you know just the way the league is going now that. Uh, rookies are getting immediate opportunity, especially the the day one and day two uh, rookie receivers. But uh, yeah, you're right. Both in uh, both Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler in their recently released mock drafts. Uh, the good news is they had Jordan Addison as their first wide receiver drafted, but for both of them, it was in the back half of the draft. So that goes to what we've been hearing for you know, for months now that this is a down wide receiver class. And, and as much as we like Addison and, and a couple of these other guys, there is, I would say there's a pretty strong chance that, uh, they're, that they're not drafted until the the twenties in the first round. We got to move on to our third prospect of the show. And that's Darnell Washington, the Georgia tight end who declared late, but he's, he's a unique player for dynasty managers to think about Matt, as far as his potential at the next level. 
Yeah, I, I love. I have a soft spot for these big tight ends, Jelani Woods, Mo Ali Cox. Uh, not necessarily Leonard Pope, but you know, going back to these six seven guys, you just hope what one of them works out. And I don't know if Darnell Washington is necessarily going to be that guy as a receiver. I think he does have some some ability in that game, especially on some of the the kind of comeback routes. And you know, if it, 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 depending on how his speed tests out, I think he can he can be a threat down the middle in the seam. Um, but I think his primary role in the NFL is probably going to unfortunately be pigeonholed as somebody as a blocker six seven. 265 he is he's a mauler in the run game uh you know he, he's not the most i'm sorry i'm going negatives i'm going to the old <laughs> format dan i apologize so uh, top 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 things top strengths blocking and physicality and uh ability to uh to win and comebacks and contested catches Those yeah are big big guy games. six seven 260 he's uh he's a big time uh prospect as far as uh, blocking prospect, right? And that, that doesn't always translate to, to dynasty managers, but it's going to get him on the field. And when you do think about his ability as a pass catcher, Ryan, I think it's safe to say that he's pretty raw in that aspect. There are there are things that where you could see him getting a lot better at. And Matt mentioned the contested catches, the ability to come down with the ball in traffic. He has those big hands and he wraps them around it. He can make plays after the catch. He, he didn't do it all that often at Georgia, but when he caught that seam round, when he did get those opportunities, there was at least a reason for you to raise an eyebrow and say maybe he can take the next step at the next level. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, he's just such a good blocker, and it's not just because he's a big guy. I mean, he's an aggressive he blocker. Likes to do he's, it. Yeah. he's chasing down... <laughs> Right. I mean, it's it's so obvious. He's chasing down defenders, and it's not just at the line of scrimmage either, right? I mean, you see, uh, you see Don't Milton running the ball, or you see uh, uh, Bowers make a catch, and and there's Washington knocking somebody on on their butt. So, I think Matt went turning the the negative into the positive with Addison. I think we can turn the positive into a negative <laughs> for for Darnell Washington. He's such a good blocker that I, I'm not sure he's going to be really fantasy viable. Mm, I, I actually like him more than I expected, I guess. I, I, I didn't watch a lot of Georgia football until late in the season. He didn't have that big game in, in their playoff run or, or late in the year that, that would make, me, make him really catch my eye and think, wow, that's the next big thing. But when I did watch the three, three highlight films that I did, the, the full game um, um, cut-ups – I was impressed with him as a pass catcher. I thought he did well sitting between linebackers in zone coverage and finding that space to yeah. to catch the ball. He's a big target out there. He caught the ball away from his body, and I thought he turned the ball upfield right away. He's not the guy that you're going to flex out wide. He's not going to be TJ Hawkinson and run in motion from out wide and then run a drag route and turn it into a 22-yard catch. That's not his game. He's more of the... Dallas Goddard, maybe a little bit. He's athletic enough to to stretch the seam if he has to, but he's at his. Maybe Goddard isn't the right. Maybe more of Zach Ertz before Goddard in at at yeah. uh, in Philadelphia, where where he catches the ball and does the best he can after the catch, but is a great blocker on top of it. And that's not something we can say of a whole lot of other guys. It it reminds me a little bit of Irv Smith and what I what I felt about him coming out that. He is too raw and needs to take steps forward at the next level. Irv, Irv Smith Jr. didn't really do that or hasn't to this point. But but I think Washington could. Uh, I especially like him, though, against that zone coverage, man. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, that, that that's where he's going to – I think we're going to be able to maximize his production as going out, especially on, like, play action, just settling in the soft spots in the zones because he does do that well. Um, and then, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's impossible to bring down from one, from one guy. So I think he has some red zone potential too. You know, you get him in there as a blocker, you hit that nice big chip block and then go out into the end zone. And, and you know, I, I have no, no issues seeing him catch, uh, you know, five to ten touchdowns in, in, in any given season. Uh, it is a little concerning that he didn't get any kind of real production in college. You know, only two touchdowns in, his, in, in this last final season here, only one the year before that. So it, it, for someone who's so big, and especially against those smaller defenders in, in a college setting, it makes you have a little bit of concern. But they just didn't use them that way, right? So uh, hopefully he goes to an NFL team that will. 
Well, the size is obviously what what stands out with with Washington. I mean, whether you're looking at from a blocking standpoint or, or pass catching, uh, and it just made me look six seven two hundred sixty five plus. Uh, no player in NFL history has ever averaged more than nine fantasy points per se- in a season uh, that that was that big or th- that is that big. So Scott Chandler's kind of our, our dream here. We're hoping he can be the next Scott Chandler. And uh, that's, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, that's not necessarily a, Boy, a big bar. So we're not uh, setting you the look bar at, very high there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, he is currently our tight end two over at DLF 29 overall in those rookie rankings. So looking like a, uh, a third round rookie pick, uh, this tight end class. And, and again, we'll get into it in the coming weeks. It is stacked. Um, I'm going to have to update my rankings after looking at him a little bit more. He might be, he might be more like my tight end four or five. And that honestly, that speaks more to the class than it does mm-hmm. to the player uh, checking out grinding the mocks. That's uh, I think we talked about that website a ton last year. He is projected right now to be the tight end three in the NFL draft and looking like an early second round. Uh, yeah. And NFL team is going to fall in love with his physicality, his ability yep. to, to set the edge in the running game and, and create opportunities on the outside. You mentioned it. Whenever you saw those big plays from those Georgia tailbacks or even those receivers, there he was knocking somebody on their butt, making a big play. And I think, I think teams will like his potential as a pass catcher almost as much as they like his ability right now as a run blocker. So we're six prospects in, we went slightly over time, but did pretty good job here. We got, we got six guys. We need to rank them. And I think it's safe to say guys, Bijan's going to remain number one, but there's a question after that. Yes. We, we, we've talked about Will Levis, and we're going to do these rankings as if they are super flex rankings. We've talked about uh, Jordan Addison. Who do you think is next, Ryan? After Bijan, of these six proje- prospects we've talked about, who who you listing after Bijan? Yeah, I've got I've got Jordan Addison as my second. Yeah, guy I do here. too, right, Matt. Okay, and then yeah, then we add in Levis. He's got to be considered for that third spot. I would take him over uh, Rashi Rice at this point, Matt. I, I think I would have them in like the like if we're just tearing out these six prospects, I would have those two in this this final this middle tier here. So I, I kind of view okay. them about the same. Right. Oh yeah, Levis. Are you going Rice pretty. or Darnell Washington or the the running back Muhammad Ibrahim next? I've got Rice fourth. Uh, yeah, again, pretty easily. We, this this is an, an easy job with just six guys. It'll get tough. Yeah, so go on. fifth after after Rice, we're probably leaning towards the tight end, Washington, Matt. And that gives us Ibrahim as our sixth Ibrahim, project. So it's Bijan. Then uh, we have Jordan Addison, second. Will Levis, third in these Superflex rankings, followed by Rashi Rice at four. Uh, Darnell Washington, the tight end, the only tight end we've talked about so far, and then Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, six good prospects, guys that will have roles at the next level, certainly guys that are going to get drafted, uh, not only in the NFL draft, but probably in dynasty drafts that go at least three rounds and, and certainly ones that go four rounds. So three more prospects next week. We're going to keep adding to this list as we move on. Follow everybody on Twitter. Get Ryan at RyanMC23. Matt's at Matt Price FF. We also uh, got the podcast at DLF Podcast for the question of the week. And get me at DMyler22 on Twitter as well. To everybody out there listening, thank you very much for tuning in. And we will catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.